so uh, I'm going to speak today a little bit about uh, uh, predictive care and uh, what we have been up to and uh, hopefully tied uh, into uh, what we believe is a, a very compelling uh, need for, for blockchain to, to come into the picture over here. Uh, to, uh, as introductions, I'm uh, Milan Shah. I'm Chief uh, Technology Officer uh, at uh, a company called Bioformis. Uh, we are a vendor and a creator of uh, remote patient management, not monitoring, management solutions. We're fundamentally a data science company that has built algorithms for predictive care. Uh, our algorithms, some of them are FDA approved and they are known to have predictive power uh, allowing uh, uh, clinicians to intervene earlier, improve patient outcomes, and so on and so forth. Also happens to be something that you can do remotely so the patient is at home and so on. I'll get into some depth over here. And hopefully uh, uh, we'll see. Uh, I've been amazed at uh, some of the uh, uh, sessions earlier uh, and how these things are converging. So I'll start with uh, uh, talking a li little bit about sort of the disruption that we have stepped into uh, I joined uh, uh, Bioformis about uh, right at the end of 2019, right before COVID actually was a thing. And uh, prior to that, I had no life sciences experience. So the story I like to tell, you know, as, as uh, uh, most people would have done, they reach out to their uh, trusted peers, colleagues, etc. And I uh, uh, inquired about, about this Bioformis opportunity. And uh, to, a, to a fault, every clinician, every, every person in the life sciences business told me, Hey, the good news is that in the next five years, this is going to be the big thing. The only problem is when you ask me next year, I'm going to tell you that in the next five years, it's going to be the next thing, right? So, so it was always five years down the road, yeah? And then COVID happened, and we really are, uh, from our perspective, in the very, very uh, middle of this disruption. It's erupting at this point. What is this disruption? So from my perspective, what's really going on is uh, the uh, advent of inexpensive sensors, uh, there are sensors everywhere now, right? And these were obviously, you know, initiated with the smart uh, phone technology and all that stuff. But now we have sensors that can measure an amazing amount of things. And these are subsent sensors, very powerful, very accurate, very inexpensive, yeah? Uh, obviously generating the infinite amount of data, basically a, a countably infinite amount of data. So you've got to store it somewhere, you've got to process it somewhere. Comes the cloud, the cloud is here, it works, it's cheap. It's uh, inexpensive, very accessible. Uh, so you now have an actual mechanism uh, to process all this data. And then the final piece is what kind of technique can you actually use to process it, right? So I don't really like this AI, ML. It's just a buzzword these days, yeah? Neural networks and so on. But as it turns out, you know, this has been under development for the last 20, 30 years, AI, ML technology, right? Uh, as you'll see, healthcare is the textbook example where this technology works. It's, it's not very difficult. It was basically uh, a, a perfect sweet spot for doing some of the stuff that we can do uh, uh, with, uh, with healthcare uh, falls in the uh, sweet spot of AI ML. Uh, very quickly, the kind of system that we have built is basically three pieces corresponding to the three uh, disruptive forces. We have sensors on the left-hand side. That's what the patients use. We have continuous sensors. We have episodic sensors, uh, all usually going through some kind of a Bluetooth hub, smartphone, smart, uh, you know, smart tablet type of thing. Going to the cloud, cloud has all your AI ML, and out comes a actual actionable indicator for clinicians. Uh, 
get a little bit more uh, uh, depth over here. One of the challenges that uh, the initial foray into AI ML uh, ran into was, uh, uh, just like politics, I guess healthcare is not just local, it's very personal. No one person fits a uh, fits a cohort group type of profile, right? So one of the fa fallacies that the early people ran into with AI ML and trying to apply to uh, healthcare situations was, how do you do AI ML? You build a model, you train it on some set of data, and then you try to apply it to an individual. Well, it doesn't really work. The, you know, any kind of model you build for predicting or, or uh, diagnosing some kind of a situation uh, will will uh, be blind to the actual reality of a patient. Patients have comorbidities. They have certain race, gender, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and they're due for knee surgery two months from now. How, how is the system going to know that, right? And yet, AIML has to predict that. So one approach we took was to not train the machine learning models on cohort data. Instead, we took the, uh, uh, we took, uh, uh, the observation that, I mean, this is a marketing slide. I had a slightly different one, and the marketing guys came in. See that thing that says 5 million data points per day? Yeah, that's a pretty impressive number. But if you just divide it by you know, 84,600, number of seconds in a day, that's only about 57 data points per second. Very doable. It's not a huge amount of data coming in, right? So based on that, you can actually, uh, uh, you can actually just train a machine learning model on the fly. It'll train it on you, and then you can use that information to then predict what might be going on with you. And then what you also see on the slide is uh, a context. One of the interesting things is, uh, it's interesting, you know, Hippocrates 2,400 years ago, uh, amazing things that are excluded from medical uh, sort of science, right? As an example, movement is not a clinical indicator. There is no science to understand movement. And so what happens is, you know, you take heart rate, you take respiratory rate, you take your ECG, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, you climb up the stairs because movement is not a clinical input, uh, that actually looks like a, a clinical incident. You go up the stairs, and if somebody's monitoring you remotely, it's going to look like something bad has just happened to you, right? Well, so you take uh, additional information like movement, like uh, even the weather, humidity. Humidity has an effect on how much pain you feel, for example, right? So you take all of those, you throw it into machine learning models, uh, your own data, uh, throw that into machine learning models, and out comes something that actually is able to predict. Let me give a couple of examples that have been very successful for us. So we started working with companies that are working on CAR-T treatment. So again, very uh, quickly, CAR-T is, I know very little about it other than how to spell it finally, right? Uh, uh, basically, take your own white blood cells, mutate your genes, re infuse you with that, and it's a very effective cancer therapy. Uh, personalized cancer therapy, right? Very, very powerful, very single infusion and so on. The problem is roughly 5% of the population will experience uh, 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 CRS, cytokine release uh, syndrome, which if not treated can be fatal. The result of this is that anybody undergoing CAR-T today is hospitalized for 30 to 90 days. In order to catch the 5% uh, chance that, that you, you might experience something that's fatal, right? So you can take technology like ours and instead just send the patient home. We can predict six hours, eight hours in advance that your physiology is looking like something that's, that looks like CRS. Maybe you should head back to the hospital, right? 
that, that uh, frees up a humongous amount of cost associated with CAR-T treatment, the 90 days of hospitalization, where most of the people are wondering why they're there. Yeah? Uh, here's something that's a little bit more current. Our technology for predicting was actually FDA cleared in 2019, before COVID. But remember the theory, right, that I'm training my model on you. If you deteriorate, I can, I can uh, detect it. Uh, out of desperation, as it turns out, the, uh, some of the uh, authorities in Hong Kong were the first people to, out of desperation, say, hey, maybe the only way we can take all this Princess Diamond, if you remember that uh, ship that got stuck outside of Osaka, uh, the only way we can return, repatriate those patients, COVID-infected patients, is to perhaps use technology like biopharmacies, right, and send them home and monitor, and hopefully biopharmacists will tell us when they deteriorate, and lo and behold, it actually worked. Okay, so on the left-hand side screen, uh, you see a patient deteriorating. The middle one is kind of interesting, right? Uh, episodic measurement to manage COVID from an episodic perspective is relatively straightforward. You take SpO2, you take temperature, you take a few of the measurements, and you do, right? Except you don't wake the patient up when they're resting. Well, that's usually when they're deteriorating. So usually what was happening back then is, is you, you know, patient is resting, unbeknownst to you, they're actually deteriorating when they finally wake up, they're headed for oxygen therapy, right? You do continuous monitoring, and now I can give you an early warning. As it turns out, this was successful enough where the entire countries of Australia, Singapore, etc., actually managed that COVID uh, uh, epidemic or pandemic with technology, like with, with our technology, yeah? All right, what is a great, great... Uh, uh, ego-inflating stuff, right? But what does this have to do with EHR, right? Well, what's happened, if you really think about it, right, what's disruptive about this is the fact that we are literally turning Hippocratic medical science up on its head. EMR records are no longer created by the care provider. They're created by an automation. I hear a lot of work, a humongous amount of work on how do we take EMR records, which are assumed to sit in some centralized place, and now we are trying to build networks of the centralized places, and now we are trying to figure out how to get them to the patients. What we see happening is EMR records are going to originate somewhere else. They're not even going to be there, the vast majority of them. I'll give a very personal example. My dad happens to be a 20-year-old uh, heart failure patient, meaning he's been a heart failure patient for 20 years. Long story about why we managed to put him on my system or our system, we happened to put him on our, on our system. Turns out he was on a drug called digoxin. So now the system is continuously monitoring it. Digoxin is something that is used for uh, arrhythmia management and so on and so forth. Right? It has the effect that it actually can lower your, it, it'll lower your heart rate. And then beyond uh, below a certain level, uh, it, uh, <coughs> uh, it, uh, uh, it has to be retitrated or either stopped or retitrated, right? So he's on our system. We actually have uh, trained clinicians monitoring the alerts coming out of the system. So sure enough, one fine day, we see that the heart rate is actually below a certain threshold as he sleeps through the night. That's usually when you have the lowest heart rates, right? Again, observe that that's usually not when a clinician is observing you or uh, uh, measuring anything about you, right? So our system identified that your heart rate is falling below a certain threshold. Our clinician said, hey, you're on digoxin go make an appointment with the cardiologist and tell him that, you know, your heart rate has hit a threshold, you're on digoxin, can you please take another look and see if I need to be retitrated, right? 
So my dad, 82 years old, 20 years of heart failure, using the same cardiologist, right, walks in and tells the cardiologist, uh, cardiologist saying, hey, you know what, my heart rate is, is going below a certain threshold. Can you take a look, another look at my digoxin? And my, the cardiologist just stares at him and says, okay, I'm trying to figure out which of your drugs has a neurotoxicity effect, right? Because up until 20 years, the conversation has been about the yellow pill and how to break it in half, right? And for this patient to suddenly come back and say, oh, now it's digoxin and I want you to retitrate, just the, ver the vernacular did not even fit the patient anymore, yeah? The problem was, even though we knew there was no way to communicate to the doctor what exactly is going on, okay? Uh, I heard previous sessions, that's exactly what's happening, right? Doctor-to-doctor -doctor communication is blinded to the patient, so now the caregiver doesn't know what's going on, etc. right? We think that uh, uh, EHR or blockchain is the way forward. We are already here, and obviously we think biopharmacy is going to be the, you know, 800-pound gorilla, but on an occasional uh, moment of humility, think about it, right? Apple has Apple Watch. They're going to be generating EMR records. Google has Fitbit. The Alexa over there, all they need to put is a little optical sensor over there, and they can actually scan you, and they can get your heart rate, they can get your vitals just from Alexa, okay, just by sitting in the room. I know companies and technologies where they put a little sensor on your hallway, and just by observing how, uh, you, uh, how, many, how often and how your gate, when you visit the restroom, that's a very uh, uh, routine thing people do, they can actually tell a lot about your health, right? And especially if you're diagnosed and you're recovering. So I think what's really going to happen is medical records are going to start getting generated in a way that has never been uh, thought of before. Uh, it's not episodic anymore, it's continuous, it's coming from the home, it's coming from the patient itself, and we need to use blockchain technology to start figuring out how to adjudicate it, how to record it, how to have versions of it, how to organize it, how to make it available to a, a, a disparate group of uh, care providers also we can deliver uh, care ultimately to the patient. So I thought this would be interesting to share with the, with the team, and it has been certainly a great uh, uh, few sessions uh, for me so far. It's, it's fantastic to see this community working on this kind of interesting technology. I think this disruption is gonna take us all to the next, next uh, very real implementations over here. Thank you.